Welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corsion, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and I'm super excited for you to dive into this episode. Before we get into the episode, I want to address something because I get a ton of questions asking me what are the best training plans to follow or suggestions on having a coach, right? Um, and this is something that has come up a lot, especially um, you know after my 10th place male finish at Havelina 100, um, given that I've only you know been running for about four years. A lot of people have been asking like, hey, like, what do you suggest for training plans or a coach? Um, my answer always comes from what's worse best for me as well as others who I've chatted with in the industry. And so I'm sharing my perspective from that regards. And for me, um, I've been working with Zach Bitter for almost a year now. And he's helped me go from, again, starting out ultra running just a few years ago to placing top 10 at one of the most competitive 100 milers in the world at Havelina 100. Um, plus, Zach has held world records for fast is 100 mile time and most miles completed in 12 hours so when it comes to suggestions I always recommend Zach as he is one of the best of the best my suggestion if you are looking for a training plan or working with a coach is to check out Zach Bitter's pre-made training plans or his personalized training plans which comes with personalized coaching for your own goals whether you just want to finish your next ultra hit a PR or reach the podium Zach has made pre-made training plans based on specific race distances and your own running experience that will give you the day-by-day workouts and running regimen you need to hit your goals and if you want more personalized plans he offers those as well with email support and the option to add on consultation calls with him if you want to have more personalized support. So to check out Zach's coaching, feel free to head out to the URL um, in my uh, in the show notes there, um, or if you want to just type it in, it's zachbitter.com slash coaching, um, or you can go again to the link in the bio to check that out. Again, he's got pre-made plans, which are amazing for all different types of distances and experience levels, um, and he also has personalized one-on-one coaching as well. Um, I highly recommend Zach's coaching for your next ultra and uh, definitely work with him as he's helped me a ton and I know he can help you a ton as well. So I just wanted to address that here because I know I've been getting a ton of questions um, outside of Havelina 100 on, um, you know, recommendations for um, running plans or coaches and uh, Zach is my go-to man for that. So definitely show Zach some love if you're looking for a coach or a training plan and uh, visit that link in the bio. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and I am super excited for today's episode today. So um, I've known this runner just being in the Arizona community and seeing her name pop up at all the local races, all the Arab Viper races, and I've always been impressed by like her stats uh, in, in the field. And just to read it off here, like seriously, this is just 2022, by the way. So there's a whole other like accomplished background that she has, but this is 2022. And really also to put it in perspective and she'll 
talk about it in here. Really her first kind of foray into trail running, but at Coldwater Rumble, she came first place in the 20 miler. At Black Canyon Ultra 60K, she came in second place in the female squad. Crown King 50K, first place. Adrenaline Night Runs 25K, first place. Broken Arrow 46K, third place in the female field. Tushers 70K, first place. Run Rabbit Run 50 miler, first place for females and first place overall. And then most recently, the McDowell Mountain Frenzy 50 miler, which you all heard from Scott Trayer a few a uh, few months back. Uh, she came in first place securing that Solomon sponsorship, which is super, super cool there. So and that's only just a fraction of like the accomplishments that she has, but not just accomplishments. She's also has such an amazing perspective on running, how to enjoy it, how to set goals. She had this amazing blog post that I read right before this post, uh, right before this podcast that I really want to dive into a lot more. And I think you're going to find a lot of enjoyment here. So not only is she a great runner, but she's also a great person and has an amazing mindset when it comes to running. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce Georgia Porter to the Everyday Ultra Podcast. Georgia, thanks so much for coming on, my friend. Wow, thanks for having me. I feel like a like a fighter coming out to the ring with that <laughs> announcement. I feel pumped up. I know we should have gotten some like music rocking and rolling and yeah. getting like Bruce Buffer, like doing like the uh, let's get ready to rumble right before. Like, it'd be great. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, Jordan, I'm so excited to chat with you. And I think this is a cool opportunity, too, because I know you're not too much on social media. And um, so I think this will be a cool way for people to get to know you more. And we'll talk about the social media thing a little later, because I'm definitely curious to hear more about that. But what really just impresses me about you too is is your background into running, right? Like this, I don't want to spoil a little too many things here because it's just so impressive. But tell us a little bit more about how you kind of got into running, and then, um, you know, how you got into this crazy sport of ultra running, which uh, we also love so much. Yes, and I'm happy to finally have found my place. I think this is definitely where I'm here to stay. Yeah. So. In high school, I was pretty unathletic. I tried a few different sports, nothing really panned out. Um, My family are a bunch of runners. My mom's an amazing runner. My sisters are amazing runners. And I remember in high school, my mom was like, you need to be on the track team because your sisters are. And so to spite everyone, I joined as a thrower. So I was a thrower in high school, not a good one, but you know, that was my first introduction to track. And then After that, I pursued a career um, as a paramedic. And so I didn't really have time for running, but by the time I got to my mid twenties, I just felt out of shape. I lifted a lot, but I, I wasn't doing any cardio. I like to have what I call a layer of party. And so I was like, you know, something needs to change here. So I decided to sign up for a triathlon because I was like, this is three types of cardio. This is perfect. What, what better motivation, right? So I did a triathlon. And I was okay during the swim. I like didn't drown, which for me was the main goal there. And then I got on the bike and proceeded to get passed by what I believe was the entire field. I mean, I remember this pregnant woman biking past me with her small child on a separate bike, just blew by me. And by the time I got to the run, I was so pissed. I was just like, screw this. And I just like took off. And I can't remember if it was a 5k or 10k, honestly, but I remember afterwards I had like a decent time and I I talked to my sister, Sarah, who was running professionally. And she was like, Hey, you should, you should just stick to running. So I sold my bike. I hung up my swim goggles there, ended my triathlon career and uh, just kind of dove into running. So my sister was training me for, I think just some road half marathons. And I was out on the track at the community college I was going to in Portland. 
And the coach saw me and asked if I would run for the team. And I remember just being like, wow, I'm going to run for a team. I never thought this would happen. So I ran for the community college my last year there. And then I was super fortunate to have a couple years of eligibility at a D2 level. So I went to Western State Colorado University in Gunnison. And what I loved the most there was during the summer and fall when we were getting ready for cross, we did so much trail running. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Crested Butte is just 30 minutes north of Gunnison. So I spent a lot of times or a lot of time on the trails, really loved it. But I also started getting really caught up in the competition and feeling all this pressure to place a certain way to make it to nationals, to hit certain times. And I really lost a lot of the joy that I originally had. And so after college, I wasn't super stoked with my college career, but I ended up moving to Flagstaff. My, both my sisters moved from different parts in the U S as well. So we all coalesced in Flagstaff together and I went to the road scene. So half marathons, full marathons, And again, the the most enjoyable part to me was during training when I could be on the trails. I didn't run Mm -hmm. the big girl trails that I call them now, um, just because, you know, I was on the road. So yeah, that was super enjoyable. But the same thing kind of happened to me. I let it happen to me in the road world. I just was super hyper-focused on paces and times and qualifying for the trials. And there were certainly some really enjoyable times, but it really started to take away my joy. And it really came to a head last year, the end of 2021, I raced the Chicago marathon Mm. and I so badly wanted to hit 230 in the marathon that I was training way too hard. I definitely dipped into overtraining syndrome. I was running 120 mile weeks. I was putting in these massive workouts I was starting to get a ton of anxiety. I've in the past struggled with anxiety and it was really popping up big time for me. I was losing sleep. I lost my period for the first time ever Mm -hmm. and my body was super unhappy. So I showed up to the start line of Chicago, just an absolute wreck. And I ran the race. I finished it, which honestly is probably one of my, like, I'm very proud of that because I started suffering like two or three miles in. It was just a huge suffer fest. And I remember thinking during the race, like something needs to change, really needs to change here. So I took a couple of weeks off after. And when I started running again, I went out to, to a trail that I really enjoyed. And I was like, okay, Georgia, do you want to keep running? Like, do you like this? Do you want to keep competing? You don't have to. And, you know, do you still love it? And I thought about that a lot. And I realized what I absolutely love the most is running on the trails And I think for a long time, I thought, oh, I need to, I need to stay on the road. I can go to trails when I'm in my forties, when I've slowed down. And I was like, why, why am I waiting? You know, just to feel this weird pressure, I have to do a certain thing on the road. So I just jumped into the trail world, just both feet. Um, And this year has seriously been one of the most enjoyable years of training that I've ever had. Um, I, I feel a lot more freedom. I spend every second on the dirt. I don't touch pavement at all. And wow, really loving it. Wow. So you literally went like full shift into there. So not even training on the pavement. I mean, like all your trainings on trails too. That's amazing. And I I just love that, that mindset shift that you made. Cause I mean, like you were racing pretty competitively. I mean, like you, you were competed in the U S Olympic trials, which I mean, is 
arguably one of the most competitive fields in the entire world, right? And then doing uh, all these different marathons, which as you know, as you described before, the training can be so cutthroat. And it's so like awesome to see that you had that shift to say, hey, I need to start enjoying this. My body's and my mind's not telling me this is the right place. And you kind of went all in on that. And I'll kind of want to go a little bit deeper into that mindset shift and everything like that too. But one thing I also want to highlight is you started this running journey when you were like 25. And I think it's so interesting because a lot of times we hear people who have the success that you have or the fulfillment in the sport, they maybe have doing this in middle school, high school and everything like that. What like led you to just really dive in like so much at that like age where, um, you know, it's kind of, uh, I, I should say uncommon for, for people to start diving into the sport, especially such at the high level. Like, I guess, what was your mindset and how did you kind of like dive into there with, with full heart and, and honestly, just the, the hunger for the competition and so to say. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, really what it was, and I'm sure it's the same for you. It's the same for a lot of runners is I just absolutely fell in love with it. I enjoyed the feeling of running, not every day, you know, plenty of days suck, but you know, just being out on the trails. And at that time I lived in the Northwest, I had some access to some really incredible trails. I lived close to the PCT. So just being outside and being around nature, not having a cell phone, not having technology. I, I was just running with a Timex. I didn't have a smartwatch, you know, so just really the enjoyment of it, pure and simple. Um, and I, it's funny because I think what really started to take away from that actually was the competition. This mm. is truly the first year when I can say I've actually enjoyed a race, like actually enjoyed competing. So, um, yeah, that took a long time for me to develop that love, but also to your point, and we talked about the similarities in our stories, it's totally fine to start. You don't have to start running when you're in middle school or high school to excel in the sport or even especially to enjoy it. Um, I coach and I have athletes that started in their twenties, thirties, forties. I like to use my mom as an example. She started running when she was 41 and she was 43. I think she missed the trials qualifier by two minutes. Whoa. Two years running at 43. I think she ran like a, I'd have to look a 246 or 247 or something just like ridiculous. You know, it's never too late. And like, I hope that's a big takeaway for folks is you don't have to come from a background where you started running before you were walking. Oh, Georgia, I love that you shared that too. Like even from the perspective of you just saying it's it's not too late because right, like some people even see nowadays that like 25 is 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 too late, which is crazy because you know, it's still a young age. And I love that you brought up the example of your mom, even at like, you know, 40 coming in and like coming close to the trials and and really just having that impact in there. So I love that approach. And I also love that you tied it back to like the enjoyment of running is what got you into it. And it's so interesting to see your journeys. Like that's what got you in towards the, the middle of it kind of went to that competition and then you kind of reverted back to it. Um, so I definitely want to come back on that because I love that idea of being able to fully enjoy running. And like, what does that like look like to you in your training? Like, how do you really lean into that enjoyment? Because, you know, I think in the world of Strava and social media and having a watch on our wrist, telling us what our pace is the entire time, it can be so easy to let that enjoyment get blocked. And I, you know, personally too, struggle with that sometimes too. So for you, what is like fully leaning into that enjoyment look like? And maybe even going into this race season where you mentioned that you're really enjoying these races. Oh, this is an awesome question. So I wish that what it looked like is me just enjoying it and not taking zero work, right? Not the case. If left to my own devices, I will just run myself into the ground training and turn into a total stress case like I did last year. So this 
there's a couple things here that I've realized help me to prioritize my enjoyment. And that's what this year has been about. I'm prioritizing my enjoyment. And I think this is going to be an evolving process. So my answer may be different in a year. I'll, I'll maybe learn some more tips and tricks, but a really big one for me is how I set goals. And so this year, and I, I've talked with my coach about this, so he's on board. He knows what's up. Um, we do not set any type of place goal. We don't set any type of time goal. We do not talk about pacing during the race, anything like that. And so my goals going into a race are, you know, to be really present for the experience, to enjoy it and to run my strongest performance, my, my fastest run from point A to point B. That is what I'm out there to do. That to me brings me so much joy and that's going to be my best outcome despite wherever the competition is. If that gets me first or I don't make a podium or I come in, you know, towards the back, it doesn't really matter as long as I'm achieving those things. And I'll say like, of course I want to win. I think, you know, that's okay to say too, but for me, that's so far down the list of what actually matters. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's a big one. Another thing that I do is I don't look at entrance lists going into a race because with those goals, it wouldn't really make sense to. And so I typically toe the line, not really knowing who's in it, where I stand in the rankings. And it's kind of fun because then I end up in the race or I'm running with women. It's like, Oh, who are you? Like, and I've made some really cool connections that way. I had a really awesome experience at McDowell with that. And yeah, so that, that really helps as well. And then you kind of alluded to it, but I can't remember when it was. I think it was a couple of years ago. I did decide to ditch social media, um, just given my competitive nature and um, that coupled with how for me, it didn't feel super authentic to interact with people on social media. Mm -hmm. For those two reasons, I decided to ditch it. And that really helps too, because I'm not looking at what anybody else's training is. And I'm not worried about like, oh, am I training hard enough? Am I getting enough vert? Am I getting enough speed? This or that, you know, I'm just not worried about it because I just don't know. And that's been really, really helpful for me in, in more ways than one, but specifically when it comes to my mindset. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And I, I like how you went like to the deepest level of enjoyment with your racing goals, because what I hear a lot and usually what I try and have been doing is like saying like, oh, I'm not going to focus on a place goal, but I'm going to still focus on my time goal. Right. Because at right. the end of the day, we, we make the justification that it's like, hey, if it's just my time goal, I'm just competing with me. But at the end of the day, you're still like measuring up to a metric. Right. And so yeah. like, you're literally just saying, Hey, as long as I'm performing on my best and kind of going from there, I mean, that is such a cool approach. Cause I still think the time holds you kind of like a, I don't want to say prison to it, but almost like a, you know, you feel very stressed if like you're not hitting your splits or anything like that. Yeah. No matter what. Absolutely. And what I felt it was doing for me. And I noticed this with a lot of my athletes that I coach is I would get into a race and I'm not tuned into my body or my breath or my effort. I'm tuned into a number on a watch. And, mm. um, so what I've noticed, and this is so applicable for the trail world paces just don't matter. And so there's so many variables. And so now when I race, it's incredibly intuitive. And I think most people have this ability. It's just, we've lost it a little bit with the watch, but now when I'm racing, there are times during the race where I'm like, okay, this is a little bit of a low patch. I'm going to give myself a little bit of a breather. Um, you know, maybe I need some nutrition. Maybe I need to just ease up. Maybe I need to take this incline a little slower. And then there's times in the race where I'm like, okay, I'm okay to like push a little bit. I'm okay to mm -hmm. give a little bit more. And so I find that I can run a lot 
stronger and a lot faster if I'm like staying true to that. And it is hard to do. I don't want to pretend like, oh, I've just arrived at this mindset and it's so easy and it comes naturally. Um, you know, it takes some work for sure, but, um, I'm tuning into it over and over and over in my race. And McDowell was interesting. Cause there was a point where there was a woman who took off in front of me and I really had to be like, okay, Georgia, mm. don't go with her. This does not feel good. This does not feel right. Let her go. If she can hold this pace, she's a rock star. She's going to beat you. And that's okay. If she can't, you'll catch her later, but either way, just like be really present with this. So I'm definitely tested in it all the time, but, um, the more I practice this, the easier it's becoming. That's so good. And I love it because it, it, like your story that you just mentioned there is probably so relatable to a lot of people, including myself, right? I, I think it's so easy for us to, to tell us, yeah, I'm going to enjoy it or everything like that. But if someone passes you or like, you know, maybe you run a little slower or whatever, like there is that voice in the back of the head that says like, go chase them or like, go get them. Right. And it's so like uh, relatable to see that you're, you go through those things, but you've, you've learned how to be able to stay present in that moment when it comes up. And I kind of want to go deeper on that. So like when you're in a race, like, is that what you're doing? Are you just kind of just literally staying present, monitoring anything that's going on in your body? Like, what are some other things that kind of go through your head to keep your head in that space from not drifting off into, you know, getting caught up in the crowd? Because for me uh, at Javelina, like I told myself, I was like, you know, I'm going to play a conservative, blah, blah, blah. And then of course I got carried away and went up in the front pack and then just ended up just you know, having probably the ugliest positive split of all time. But, uh, you know, it, like, how do you, like, I guess what goes through your mind, like throughout that entire race and how do you focus fully on that enjoyment? Yeah. Well, I do want to give you a little credit. I listened to your race recap of it and how you brought things back mentally. That fifth uh, loop is really incredible. So you got there as well. Um, I was listening to that a couple days ago when I had to do a treadmill run, which is like, the hardest thing ever for me mentally. So, but you were like talking about loop five and you're finished. And I was like, yeah, I was like increasing the speed on the treadmill. So thank you for that. Oh, um, thank you. So, so I will, there are two avenues I'll go down with this. The first is when I set a goal. So I'll use McDowell as an example, the way that course is the first 30 miles are, are fairly gentle. There's a little bit of climbing, um, towards like mile 25 ish, maybe, uh, before you get to Thompson peak at mile, like 28 to 30, then you climb Thompson peak, which, you know, is just so steep. And I've run some steep, uh, inclines, but this is intense. Um, then you come down and then you have like 18 miles to the finish. So I knew that I wanted to take the first 30 miles leading to Thompson pretty chill. I knew that I wanted to feel really with, within myself and not breathing too hard, not pushing too hard, constantly checking in. I knew that when I got to Thompson, I wanted to move very efficiently, not necessarily like pushing because you don't want to blow up on that, but efficiently. And then after that, once I passed Dixie mine, I was like, okay, that's when it's go time when I can start to push. So I had a rough mapped out idea of what I wanted it to feel like. Um, but things don't always pan out like that on race day. So I ended up having, um, an interesting start before the race, Oh man, I was in the port of potty for a while. Something was wrong with my stomach. I'll not go into too specific of details, but I'm sure runners get it. And so the first 16 miles of this race, I was having stomach cramps. I was pooping on the side of the trail. It was a, it was a disaster. I didn't feel fresh. My legs didn't feel great. And so I really, really had to be present with that and be like, okay, 
I feel like this effort is still okay. I, it might be a little bit of a risk with how my stomach is feeling, but I'm able to keep down nutrition and I'm not breathing too hard and my energy feels good. So I just kind of navigated that. And then I got a little lost at mile 16. So I took like a four minute break to find the trail. And then I felt fine after that. It was so weird. So yeah. So I guess the two parts of that are knowing going in a rough idea of how I want things to feel. And then when I'm in the race, really checking in, does this feel how I want it to feel in this moment? Mm, mm, that is so, I, and like, I, I admire you so much for having that crazy thing. Cause I know how it can be with stomach issues out there and, you know, having to, you know, feel like you got to take a shit, like every like five miles or something, this is like the worst feeling. And I, I, I think it's, it's so easy. Like when that happens early on in a race to like kind of cash it in. Right. And just be like, Oh, today's not my day. I'm not feeling like great, but like you still, despite those things, like really just had yourself in check to say, okay, like, you know, how do I, how do I really just continue to move on from here and checking in and tuning in? Is that kind of like what you do anytime, like something like problematic comes up, right? Because we see a lot of problems obviously pop up in nearly every ultra that we're in, but I always see the most successful runners, including yourself, they're, uh, they're able to bounce back from those problems a lot. And so for you, how do you not let that, you know, totally take over the tone of the race? Because I think like the first five miles, if you're not feeling good, like we chuck it up to, like I said before, not my day, not feeling good, but you turned it around. So how does that process look like for you? I think this is something I've improved on because certainly I've had road marathons where they haven't gone well the first half and I have just let that get me down. Mm -hmm. So this isn't something I was innately born with. What really helped me at McDowell was I was remembering Ruth Croft's post interview after Western. And of course she had an amazing race and she won and she's just like such a badass. And she was saying, she was like, you know, I didn't have that great of a, she didn't feel that great most of the day. And she was remembering Beth Pascal's interview from the year before when Beth Pascal said the same thing. So what I kept telling myself was you don't have to feel great to still put out a really solid performance. You know, maybe this isn't like the most enjoyable um, ultra that you've ever run, but you know, it, it's not necessarily something that has to keep you from performing well. So I thought about that interview a lot, the first 16 miles. And then it was so cool. Cause once that feeling went away, it was such a relief. Like I totally was like, this is going to be how I feel for the rest of the race. Suck it up buttercup. And so once it went away, it was just such a relief and I was ready to go do my thing. That is awesome. I love that you thought about like Ruth's interview too. Cause what's even, even more crazy too, is, uh, Adam Peterman in his like same, and we had him, uh, on the podcast here, but he was talking about first like 20 miles of Western or so on and so forth. He didn't even feel that great. And he was like, like thinking like, oh man, this was too close to canyons, like kind of having that story, but then he goes out and, you know, comes from behind and wins. So it's so cool to see that like commonality, not just with Ruth, but with Adam, but even, you know, about the year before and just like, and even you at McDowell, like to see that, you know, how you're feeling in that beginning moments of the race might not be indicative of what you're going to feel in the future and everything, which is super, super cool. I want to kind of like still stay on the same thread of like the enjoyment stuff, but I'm wondering like, how does this apply to like training? Right. So usually like the typical kind of school of thought when it comes to training is like, okay, you have like your goal and you know, let's just say it is to hit the podium or hit like a certain time. And you kind of structure your training around like that specific goal. But for you just being like, Hey, I want to just enjoy it. Like 
what does your training structure kind of look like? Or what's your philosophy to that? Because, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just super curious because I think it's like a very new yet incredibly powerful concept that I think people should uh, implement more. But what does that look like for you and your training? I would say the biggest thing for me is I have to have a coach. Mm. I so admire people like Courtney DeWalter who can be like, I wake up and drink coffee and do what my body tells me. I'm not that person. Uh, if I was in control of my own training, I would run 120 mile weeks and run myself into the ground. So a big part for me is having a coach who, so I'm coached by Josh Eberly. He runs for mm -hmm. Adidas. He's an amazing trail runner and he has a pretty conservative approach. I'm not, I probably will never hit the miles I hit in my marathon training we don't hit those kind of miles at all. I maybe cap out at like hundred, 105. And so he's definitely more conservative. And I also communicate with him and mm. let him know how I'm feeling each run. And so he's made me take days off before, which is like so hard for me to do. That's almost harder than running on a treadmill. I don't know which is worse. <laughs> and so, so really being honest with him and trusting him that it's okay to be a little more conservative and keep my body healthy and hungry to race. So that's a big part of it. The other is, you know, when we go out and when I do a run, I'm aiming to capture the spirit of whatever that run is. So if it's an easy day, then I know what I'm supposed to do is just go enjoy the miles. I should be able to hold a conversation. I shouldn't mm -hmm. be really pushing it. And so it doesn't really matter what the pace is that can look a million different ways, depending on the day. And it's the same thing with a workout. Josh is really good about letting me know how this effort should feel like, Hey, this today we're doing reps that should feel really strong and controlled. They should not feel like we're sprinting and going to the well here, um, or big tempos. He's very good about letting me know. So it's the same thing in training that I'm doing in racing. Really. I'm tuned into what the effort should feel like. And I'm constantly checking in with myself to say, am I staying true to this? which for me, looks like you should probably slow down a little bit. Um, so yeah, cap just capturing that each day. I'm not perfect at it, but that's really the goal of training for me. That's so awesome. I, I love that you you're leaning on a coach and that the coach is also like willing to work with how you're feeling in the moment and to adapt with it and everything like that. Because I think, and I totally agree with you on the value of a coach. It's like, you know, if it were up to people who love running like you and me, like we would just be like you said, running, running ourselves to the ground. And I think a coach is able to like give you effective, like programming for your goals, but not just your goals, but like also, you know, your, your mindset, your mentality, right? Like when you need a rest day, they'll tell you to take a rest day. And I think it's just so important that you highlighted that in there too. And, you know, the one thing that I keep hearing in your answers too, which I think is just so awesome is like, I'm noticing like how self-aware like you are when it comes to like your body, your training and everything. Like how, how do you develop a stronger self-awareness or maybe how did you do it? Because um, again, like still in the world of era of distraction that we're in, it can be so easy to not be focusing internally, but, you know, hearing from you and how big of a role it's played, not just again in your success, but more importantly, your enjoyment when it comes to running how do you really hone in that skill of self-awareness? And maybe how can people listening learn how to do that so they can really tap into what's going on in their body and their mind? Oh man, you're asking good ones. Um, this is something I work a lot with my athletes with as well. So I, um, have some, some good answers here. Um, if you go back to it, like what's taking us away from our awareness, right? It's, it's usually the watch. That's typically what's taking us mm. out of our awareness or it's technology. Maybe we're tuned into music or a podcast or whatever. None of those things are inherently bad. I think they're really good tools to be used, 
But I think if we just lean on them so heavily, it can just rob us of our awareness of what's going on within our body and mind. And so I think the best fix for this is ditching technology. And this does not mean you have to ditch it all the time and just go off into the wild with nothing. Um, but I think setting up really intentional runs where you do just use a Timex, or maybe you have a loop that you do. I mean, you ran Pemberton like a thousand times before the race. So maybe it's like going and doing one of those loops, you know, you know, the mileage, you don't need to have the data for it. Right. And I think that can sound a little scary when we're so heavily reliant on the watch, but once you do it, you have nothing else to tune into except your body. And so I do Mm. think that's a really good start. Um, I've even used this in workouts here and there, and sometimes I'll still wear my watch, but I'm pretty good about not really looking at pace. I I've got to a place now where I've just like completely let it go. Uh, not completely, but mostly let it go. Um, so you can also kind of wean yourself too. I, some of my athletes I'll say, okay, we have four by five minute reps here. I want you to look at your watch for the first 20 seconds of each rep to make sure you're not running too fast. And then I do not want you to look again until the watch beeps. So Mm. we can have a little bit of that safety net, like, okay, my watch is on. I'm going to get my data. I'm going to be able to check my pace the first 20 seconds. But the rest of that is just me tuning into my body. So I think you can work your way into this, um, as well, but that's, that's probably the best way. Um, the other thing that I really love to do, and this is a practice I started doing this year is before my run. So I'm obviously running on trails. I will, after my drills, I will stop. I will find a spot on the ground. I'll touch it. So this practice is called grounding, um, and just feel into the earth and just have some gratitude for the trails, for my ability to run on them. And that really helps me kind of drop into tuning into what's going on within myself and around me. So that's one of my favorite practices. I do it pretty much every run and mm-hmm. I've even prescribed it for some of my athletes as well. Oh my gosh. That's I'm, I'm definitely going to do it tomorrow on my run for yeah. sure. Because I think that's like amazing to, to really just tune yourself. Like I'm here right now. Right. Because like you said, like when you have the watch, you're, you're looking at that watch. And then all of a sudden, regardless of whether you're consciously thinking about it, like just seeing what pace you're at, like subconsciously might take your mind somewhere else and everything like that. So I love how you say like ditch the watch. Cause even some of like the best runs that I've had, I mean, granted I'm, I'm guilty of probably having the watch out on every run, but like, even if I just like, don't look at my phone or anything like that. Cause like, I mean, it's, it, it is so much better. Like just to even just have the phone gone. So like the watch to be gone too, I can totally see how you just fully lean into the moment, the enjoyment, where you're at in your body. And uh, I think that's that's super awesome to think about. Um, speaking of like the phone and everything, I know we, we talked about the social media thing and that you were on there. And so has that kind of like helped you to be more present, not just in training, but just in life in general? And tell us a little bit more about like your decision behind that, because um, we were kind of talking before the, the podcast about this. Uh, nowadays, we're seeing such an emphasis on social media and and posting on there and you know having you don't even have Strava correct because I tried finding you on Strava I didn't even see you on there yep so tell me a little bit more about your philosophy to leave social media and kind of the benefits you've seen and what your perspective is on that yeah I am on the gmail by the way I do there you go (laughs) yeah um I just noticed a couple things that really made me want to step away and I I didn't even step away thinking oh, this is forever. But the longer I've been away from social media, the less inclined I am to go back. So the first thing is that 
it just felt for me, and I don't think this is the same for everybody or that everybody should leave social media. But what I noticed is what I was posting didn't feel super, super authentic. Not that I was like lying or, or misrepresenting or anything, but I, you know, I wanted to make myself look good. Of course, that's what you do on social media. And it felt that way when I was looking at stuff, other people were posting, it just didn't have this authenticity to it that I really crave, um, that I I'm striving to be more authentic. I want to have relationships that are more authentic. So that was the big one. The other huge one. And I didn't even realize the full impact of this until I got off, but basically I was placing a lot of the value of my experience training or racing in how other people viewed it or what other people Mm. said about it. And so what I noticed is once I left social media, I would go on this epic run or I'd have this race or something happen. And for the first couple of months, my first thought was like, okay, I need a picture. I need to like caption this a certain way. And I was like, wait, I don't have to do that. And so it was like a weird transition out of it. But now what's happening is that the experience itself is just holding so much more value for me rather than how the experience is viewed by others or how I can post about the experience. That's so good. That's so good. And as you were saying that, like, you know, I was thinking about experiences in my own training where it's very similar, even yes, or not yesterday. Yeah, actually it was yesterday. I was on a run and I was running a little slower than usual, but like intentionally, like I was just trying to kind of recover. I'm kind of going through a little mini injury right now. Um, But in my head, I was thinking like, oh man, people are going to see this on Strava and they're going to be like, oh, he's running a little slow. And of course I go on a Strava and I, you know, make everyone know it's a recovery run. And then in the end of the day, I was like sitting here thinking, I was like, like, why did I do that? Like, I was like, you know, and it comes back to, it's like, oh, I want to maintain a certain image that to your point is not authentic to like, you know, what I really want to portray. And so I think it, it, it leans back into that point that you mentioned of like, you're running for running sake, right? Like you're running for the enjoyment and not just to get the kudos on Strava or to get like so many likes on Instagram and everything like that, um, which is super cool. Uh, what are like the benefits maybe you've seen in like your everyday life, maybe outside of running? Cause like, I, I, I am a big believer and I'm starting to be more of a believer that like how we, ha- how we live in our like daily lives affects how we show up on the trails. So I'm curious, like from like a daily life perspective, how has that kind of like benefited you? Yeah. There's so many parallels with running in life. I love it. I think just the same thing where I'll, I'll have an experience with, with friends, we'll go do something or I'll go on an adventure and I get to just be there for the adventure's sake. I don't have to have my phone out taking pictures. Mm. Um, so that's a big one in particular with social media. I, what I really like about not having it is when I have a conversation with somebody, I'm not like pulling my biggest pet peeve is when you're talking to somebody and they pull out their freaking phone and they're going through social media like, dude, come on. We're in the middle of a conversation. So I really like that. It has allowed me to be more present. I definitely, uh, in my life have struggled with being present. I've struggled with anxiety. So I think using this as a way to help me be more present has just been super helpful. Um, so that's probably the big one. I don't know. Did I answer the question? (laughs) I can't. Yeah, no, 
hundred percent. Cause and I think it ties, like you said before, like about like allowing you to kind of have like a lower um, baseline level of stress. Um, because sometimes I think with like the phone, like we might see a notification that like triggers something in our brain or like if we're having a conversation, like even, and I'm guilty of this too. Sometimes I have a conversation be like, Oh, like, maybe I should check my email or something like that. And it's like, why, why would you do that? Right. It's like, like, I, I even tell myself, I'm like, why would you even think that or do that? And that I think can lead to some unnecessary stress, which kind of like seeps into training and everything. And I love how you're bringing it back to like staying present. Cause I think that's like one of the big keys to like, it sounds like to your enjoyment and fulfillment and being able to be, you know, fully invested in the sport mentally is like being super present and not being, you know, taken away from all the other distractions, like in the area. I'm curious too, like, I'm sure like, you know, the, like you said before with social media helps to like reduce anxiety and everything, but like, what is like your like lifestyle overall kind of look like maybe when it comes to like sleep and like nutrition, like, I guess, cause um, I know those things like it can also play a huge role in how we feel on a day-to-day basis and everything like that. So what's like kind of like your approach to sleeping, to, you know, eating right, to feel your body. So curious to hear if maybe you have a, an intention of like being more present with those things as well. Overall, I'm rambling here, but in terms of a uh, lifestyle, what does that look like for you? Yeah. Uh, one big change that I also made a couple of years ago when I got off social media was I started meditating. And so that's something I do 30 minutes every morning. Um, that has probably been the biggest benefit to stress management and anxiety for me. Um, and it's so similar to running where it's like, yeah, if if you do it here and there, it can help. But if you develop a practice, just like with running, that's when you're really starting to see huge benefits. So I typically will wake up and the first 30 minutes of the day, I'll meditate mainly because if I don't do it, then I will never do it. I want to think that I'm somebody that could be like, oh, I'll make time later, but it's, that is not the case at all. So that's a big one. I do prioritize sleep, um, on and off. I've had little bouts of difficulty sleeping. Um, but mostly I, I feel like I really prioritize that heavily. Nutrition is a funny one. When I was in college, I was so strict, I not like I, I didn't restrict anything, but I would eat no sugar, not have a drop of alcohol, just so overly healthy. And it stressed me out so much. Mm. And so, um, I would say now I'm kind of like roughly 80, 20, 80% of the time I'm eating clean, a lot of veggies, lean meat, whole grains, all that. And then 20% of the time I'm like, I'm going to eat whatever the fuck I want. You know, if I'm craving, whatever it is, ice cream, a donut. I don't know. I'm going to go get that and just not stress out about it. And so that has really helped me just not be overly stressed or weird about my diet. And I don't know. I I don't know if it's better to eat healthier, but for me, the 80, 20 thing is pretty dialed. Yeah. I, I love that perspective of like having that in there. Cause it's like, sure. Like maybe from like a health perspective, having that like strict, uh, you know, you can't have any sugar, you can't have like any, you know, carbs or whatever, like the diet is, I think like the mental degradation of like the stress that kind of comes on, like negates, like any like perfection that you kind of have in a diet. Right. Because I mean, there's studies that are showing that like, you know, the more stressed you are, the higher chance you have for injury and everything like that. And it's like, in the end of the day, like, is like one cupcake going to kill you? Like probably not like, so, and if you're going to enjoy it, like why not just, you know, have it. And like you said, even if it's 80, 20, like it's not like it's your entire diet, but you're, you're structuring it around, you know, 
being nourishing yourself, but also enjoying it as well, which I, which I love. And then the meditation thing is interesting too. Um, because I think that is, and I used to meditate. I don't anymore admittedly, and I really should. It's not like I am against it. I, it's more of just me being lazy. Um, but I think that's like the most powerful way. One of the most powerful ways to kind of do what we've been talking about, right? Be more present, tune into your body, look at the thoughts that are coming in and being like, okay, this is just a, just a thought. I don't have to react to it. It is what it is. And kind of just seeing what you will with it. And so I think that that practice is like super beneficial. And it's one that I don't hear too many runners talking about, but I think it's one that runners can really, really benefit from, you know, as evidenced by you and your training. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we live in a day, fortunately, where people are a little bit more okay with talking about mental health issues, but I know plenty of runners. I don't know if it's just like a stronger percentage of runners or just the people I'm around maybe, but, um, I see a lot of people struggling with anxiety and Mm. meditation is literally scientifically proven to help and it doesn't cost anything. And why not do this? I will say that when I first started out meditating, it probably took me like I don't know, 17 tries to actually start sticking with it. And I remember being frustrated because I was like, okay, I can be so dedicated to my running and I know this is beneficial, but then it comes to meditating. It just took me so long to actually develop the the habit. So it doesn't have to look perfect right out the gate either. Yeah. And that's so interesting. I kind of want to go like deeper in that and not just with meditation, but maybe training in general too, because I think, you know, to, to, it sounds like you're very consistent in your training. You're very consistent in your meditation. How do you maintain that consistency? Cause even like, I remember you mentioned in the beginning, like some days, you know, are hard, like you don't want to run, but you know, you go out and kind of do it anyways. And like, uh, how do you maintain consistency, whether it is through running, through meditation? What's your kind of philosophy on that? Because I think that's a key to, again, I don't want to just talk about success in, in the terms of like getting goals or anything, but I think there's like a power to consistency that kind of strengthens the self-confidence in yourself to know that it's like, hey, no matter how hard it gets, like I'm, I'm still going to show up. So for you, how do you approach that consistency in training, meditation, anything in life? So with meditation, like I said, it it took me a hot minute to, to get a practice going, but now if I miss a day here and there, I notice it. And so for me, that's the biggest thing that keeps me consistent with my meditation practices. If I go a day or heaven forbid, two days without meditating, um, I'm just like, not, it's just not as enjoyable to be around me. So, um, so that's probably one of the things that keeps me going back to meditation for running. It's a whole different thing. I think, um, previously, like when I was training in college and when I was on the roads, it was actually a pretty unhealthy, uh, way of staying consistent. I almost did it more because I was fearful of not putting in enough miles, fearful of not being fit enough, fearful of not having done everything I possibly could to perform, which ironically led me to overtrain. I think this year it's just so much easier to be consistent because I'm enjoying the process. And so I think that for folks, if consistency is a struggle, really diving in and evaluating your enjoyment in the process and seeing what could potentially shift in there. Because when we are enjoying it, we can still handle those days here and there that that are just harder to get out the door or harder to get on a treadmill or whatever it is, if overall the process is super enjoyable. 
Yeah. Oh man. I love that so much. And it, it echoes through your story too, right? Because you mentioned like in the beginning, you were really loving getting out on the trails and being out in nature. And then when you went a little bit more towards like the road competition, right? More in the marathon and everything, that's kind of like where that, uh, that that pressure to perform kind of seeped in a lot more and then when you went back in on the trails full gung-ho it sounds like you know like you mentioned before it was like the first time in a race where like i fully enjoyed it and everything like that which is just super cool so i love that approach and like the, the key to consistency is like finding your keys of enjoyment and really enjoying the process right because you know we can put all of our weight on the race but it's like one day in the span of months when it comes to training yeah. which is just crazy it is and i i also think that um you know this isn't to say that you can only find joy on the trails. For me, that is the case. Like I just don't enjoy running on the roads, but I do fully believe that people can find joy on the track on the roads. Um, so I, I just wanted to throw that in there too. Um, but for me, it just took a real honest look in myself to, to be like, what, what do I actually enjoy? And what do I want to do versus what am I feeling this weird pressure to feel like I have to do? Mm, yeah, hundred percent. And I think it goes back to your point of just like looking inward and seeing like what that voice within is saying, like, what are the things that you're reacting positively to? What are the things you're reacting negatively to and taking stock and then applying it into, you know, your everyday life and training and, and so on and so forth, which is super, super cool. Um, we're coming on the end, like tail end of the podcast, but I want to talk about something that you recently joined, which I think is super cool is the all in trails collective. So, um, I mean, your, your name is up there with some, some great runners who have also been guests on this podcast, right? We got Joe Stringby McConaughey, Scott Trayer, who we talked about on this podcast a little bit and countless other names, uh, who are great in the sport. But I mean, I think it's such a cool thing, what you, what you all are doing. So tell us, a little bit more about that what got you involved in it and what are kind of like you, you know your your vision for being a part of this program to to really you know uh strengthen the running community because i think it's such a it's a cool thing what y'all are doing yeah so this is a program called all in trails collective started by joe it's his definitely his project this is the second year that um this has been going and i was asked to join by scott trayer thanks scott and so really what it is, is a couple things are trying to be accomplished here. So what Joe is wanting to do is, and what we are all wanting to do is to support runners, especially up and coming runners that are maybe transitioning out of high school or college that are interested in the trail world, but don't really know how to get into it or to seek training or to seek guidance. There's not really a clear path for that transition, right? It's usually people like me that are just like so tired of the roads. They're like, well, I'm doing trail. So we're hoping to provide a little bit of a, an easier path to support those athletes. And so typically this will be athletes under 30, but not always. And then we're also really trying to lean on supporting athletes that are underrepresented in our sport. So this is women, this is people of color, this is people with different sexual identities and really making this community, which is already so welcoming just to make it even more inclusive. And so each year we choose, each coach chooses two athletes to coach. So these two athletes that have applied will win a scholarship in which they get coached by one of us and, you know, help them pursue whatever their trail running journeys is for that year. And then all the other applicants, which I think we're close to 80 now, can be part of the, the collective, we call it. And so they will still get a lot of cool stuff swag. They'll have access to coaching talks. Uh, I'm helping head up the peer-to-peer -peer, 
uh, mentorship program. So there's a bunch of cool perks. It's a really great supportive community that I hope really continues to grow over the next several years. So it can be really clear to folks like, Hey, you don't have to wait to be a trail runner until later in life. Like I assumed you had to, and just getting folks in the door sooner for that. And then also, like I said, welcoming everybody into this community because the outdoors are for everybody. I love that. And I love how you're going all in on probably no pun completely intended right there. Uh, but going all in on probably one of the best parts of trail and ultra running, which is community, right. And inclusivity, right. I, we had a, an episode with Ryan Montgomery uh, a few weeks ago, and we were talking about inclusivity for the LGBTQ plus community and how, um, you know, that's the essence of why I think a lot of people like the sport is because we're also inclusive and, you know, for, for some groups who maybe, you know, it's it's hard to find that in some areas in life, unfortunately, like, which is just such a shame, like in trail running, it's like, how do we create those spaces to make it there? Cause that's what the beauty is of the sport. So it's so cool to see what y'all are doing with, with the all in collective to, to really hone in that community, look at maybe some area or some, some groups who uh, are maybe underrepresented or maybe under resourced or anything like those things and, and giving them that space, which I think is just absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's super cool. I'm really excited to see it grow and pick up momentum. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll put a link to, um, you know, cause I saw some uh, posts going out there, but I'll put a link in the, in the bio, if anyone wants to, or bio, I'm thinking I'm on Instagram here, uh, in the show notes over here for you to check out. Cause I think it's a, a cool thing. What, what you all are doing out there. One thing I also want to touch on before, before we kind of wrap things up is, you know, now winning McDowell mountain frenzy, like, uh, you, you did win this, the Solomon sponsorship. I'm curious, like what that means to you as an athlete and kind of how you're thinking about it going forward, right? Because, you know, typically with sponsorships, like usually they come with athletes, you know, who are out there on social media and everything. And I think it's such a good thing for the sport that you got this, like, because there are so many talented runners out there who don't have social media. And quite frankly, I don't think they should have social media. Like, and I think it's a cool thing that, you know, you got this. It's such a good, awesome opportunity. And, you know, maybe we'll see like Arlen Glick and maybe some other runners down the road who have that as well. So I'm curious, like from your perspective, now having the sponsorship, you know, uh, from Frenzy, like what is your, your, your mindset on it? How are you thinking about it? And just curious to hear all the things from that perspective. Yeah. I think what's cool about this is it's so new and it's such uncharted territory that I don't fully know how this is going to shake out. And that's exciting. And I'm really pumped that this is a start to something. And so getting the shoes and the gear and the race entry is huge. Every runner knows how expensive that stuff can be. So that's going to be a huge benefit. Um, I haven't yet talked with the Solomon reps, so we'll see exactly what, what the contract side of things looks like. But yeah, as you mentioned, it can be really challenging to get sponsorship without the social media. So hopefully this does set a precedent of like, hey, there's more than one avenue to seek sponsorship. So I'm hoping it will turn into that. I guess I don't, I just, there's a lot of unknowns. So I'm kind of excited to see how it's going to unfold and to be part of the, the first steps of it. Yeah, that's so cool. And I'm so excited to see what's next. Like I said before, like I, you were the person I was like rooting for to get this sponsorship, like also because you're a great person too, but also from the perspective of 
again, there there's people out there who are well deserving of a sponsorship that maybe didn't get the opportunity just because there's no social media out there. So it's super cool to see you have that. And I'm excited to, to see, you know, what's next in that journey. And, and speaking about what's next too, uh, was looking on ultra sign up as well for, for you. And I saw a, a race pop up on there and that is, uh, one that we will both be towing the line together. And that is black Canyon in February. Is that correct? Oh yeah. I, uh, so my first true ultra was the black Canyon 60 K last year. And I made every possible runner mistake that you can make jumping into an ultra. So I'm really excited to go back on the same course. Obviously it'll be the hundred K. So a different race, but just to have a little bit of uh, redemption there to run a, a stronger performance would be super great. And yeah, it'll be my first hundred K. So I'm really excited to see what that distance feels like. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, I'm so pumped to see you out there because I'll be racing there too. And I was reading yeah. you uh, like um, you did like a race report on the 60K before. And I love how you mentioned multiple times in there, train for the downhill, train for the downhill. So oh for me, I haven't been. So I'm like, all right, well, I need to I need to get out to that first section and really just test for that bomb, like which is uh, let's go do I mean, some course, let's go do some course recon together. I'm so down. I'm so down. You name the date. I'm there because, uh, yeah, it's coming, it's coming close, which is crazy. Um, yeah. but I'm totally down to hit the course with you and everything. And, uh, one last question too, cause I, I'm always curious about this, right. Um, you know, you've seen success in like a lot of the times when you first hit the distance, right? So 60 K, you know, you came in second place for black Canyon ultras, which is your first time doing that. How do you, how are you approaching this race? Given it's a new distance, hundred K like, cause I have such an appreciation for marathon training. I really do. Um, it's such a different perspective though, because it's you you're racing 26.2 every time. Whereas like an ultras, especially like the first few years, you know, you might go from 50k to 50 miler to 100k, and it's like a new kind of distance each time. So uh for for I guess like the one of the last questions here, how are you approaching going into a new distance that you've you've never done before? It's probably a great question for my coach. Uh, yeah, I imagine like for me, what I'm really fortunate, I live in Flagstaff very close to the course. So I do imagine that part of my training will be putting in some epic long runs on the course. That's my hope. Really just getting familiar with it, what it's going to be like to be out there, maybe doing a couple bigger weekends with some back-to-back stuff, but not, not too many of those. I don't agree with stacking too many of those in a season. So yeah, hopefully my training will look a bit like that. I think as with any ultra, the more you increase in distance, the more you better increase in patience. And so Mm. I, I think a big part of this race going into it is going to be a lot of patience, especially in the early hours of the race And yeah, so practicing that in training. And then I think the other big one that I have never trained with that I should probably talk with you more in depth about is heat training, because you are the only person in the history of Havelina ever to say that you didn't feel hot on the course. You're the only one. So, um, if you could be my sensei there, that would be great. So I, I do imagine like a little bit of training and work with, um, with heat training would probably be beneficial this round. Oh, well, if you be my sensei in terms of downhill running, I think it's a, it's a good trade right there. I love it. <laughs> we'll just be on the course, just trading, uh, trading tips back and forth. But I, I like that perspective of you just putting yourself in, in the course and like feeling it out and, and just like getting that in there. And I think the quote that you said, I, I love it. And it really hit me when you said, you know, the longer the distance, the longer the patience. And I think it's, it's something that's uh not as realized until you're in it, you know, like where you're like, wow, like, 
100K is a long time. Like 100 miles is a long time. And I think you having that conscious awareness of it in the beginning is going to to serve you very well. So that's super cool. I'm looking forward to, to hitting the course with you both on race day and then definitely would love to get a training room. Maybe we'll get like Melissa in there too because I know she's yeah. uh, she's running it as well. So uh, have Sarah tag along too. So it would be uh, super fun to get a group out there for sure. Um, but before I ask uh, my last question here, where can our listeners learn more about you? Uh, I know, you know, you also do coaching as well. So um, where can our listeners learn more about you? I know you're not on social. So I usually say, where can I, they find you on social, but they can't. So where, where can they yes. find you? That's right. They can find me out on the trails. Um, I'm certainly happy for you to, to put an email link in there if people want to reach out at all. And I, my roster is actually capped right now. So I do coach with team run run and typically my profile is up on their site, but right now it's not because I'm not taking on any new athletes at the moment. So I'm really incognito right now. <laughs> You're very hard to find uh, shout out to Melissa and Sarah for connecting me to you. Cause yeah. I, I think, uh, I would have had to see you at black Canyon or on the course to, to get you on the show and to talk, talk with yeah. you. Um, but awesome. No, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And uh, I just want to say I respect not just everything you're doing in the social media world, but the respect that I have for you for pushing this message of just enjoying running, because I think that's going to be just so good for not just the sport, but for people in the sport, right? And from a mental health perspective, and really just getting into why we all got into running in the first place is because we love it. So I just want to say, I appreciate that message. I appreciate you a ton for being on the show. And for my last question here that I ask every single episode or every single guest on this podcast, which I'm sure you've probably heard before, um, what can our listeners do every single day to be a better endurance athlete? Well, first, I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to share this because without social media, it is difficult to share. So I'm really grateful for that and for the awesome conversation. One thing they could do every day, you know, let's do the grounding before each run, just touching the earth, taking just a few seconds or a minute just to really tune in with where you are, how you're feeling, bringing that into the practice that you're running, I think is really meaningful. Yeah, I love that. And and I'm telling you, I'm, tomorrow on my trail run, I'm going to be doing that right before I get out there. So uh, I'm I'm excited to see. And I think it's such like a, you know, such a powerful message just to be grounded where you're at, where your two feet are, and just fully enjoy it into the running. And I know that even just listening to this, this has really got me just more conscious of like, you know, because as you, you know, you, you've listened to my episodes of Javelina, like I've been very much in this competitive mode and I can feel, you can feel like the the pressure. And, um, so I'm just trying to be more conscious to not let it, not let it tempt me into there and to lean into the enjoyment. So this is great for me. I'm sure it was great for everyone listening in Georgia. And, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. This is a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. Appreciate you listening in. And if you have any topics or guests or suggestions for the show, I would love to hear that because I want to make sure this show is so valuable to you that I'm able to provide all the things that you're looking for to become a better endurance athlete every day. So if you have those things, feel free to send them over to me on Instagram at Joe Corsione. That is my handle, J-O-E-C-O-R-C-I-O-N-E. And I'm more than happy to fit it into the show, reach out to the guests that you're looking for, and ultimately 
give the value that you're looking for. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. Uh, would love to get more ultra runners and uh, people in the ultra endurance community listening to this podcast because the more this podcast grows, the better we're able to serve you as well. And so thank you so, so much again for listening in. I tell you, I do not take it lightly. And remember, my friends, become a better endurance athlete every single day. Take care.